0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Trail Tales. I'm your host, Tom Funk, and we will continue my hike across Michigan's Upper Peninsula. And this is coming from a manuscript uh, that I've entitled A Million Steps, and I just never got around to publishing it. So here we go. Hey, we're crossing over into another county today, or actually, we really did that yesterday. I'm now in Houghton County. And Houghton County is named for Michigan's first state geologist, Douglas Houghton. Mr. Houghton discovered copper in the Keweenaw Peninsula in 1841. Copper country is referred to the Keweenaw area since uh um, this area led the world in copper extraction in the second half of the 19th century. And I do want to note that... uh Native Americans discovered copper in that area many thousands of years before uh, Mr. Houghton came on the scene. Today's date, July 30th, 1998, starting at Bob Lake, ending at Silver Mountain, which is uh, on the edge of the Sturgeon Gorge Wilderness, uh, 13.5 miles today with a trip total of 135.5 miles uh low of 55, high is 65, rain in the morning, sunny at noon, and in the afternoon. Bug factor jumps up a little bit to a two, and uh since I have to meet my sister later in the day, I have to stick to gravel roads um down to uh um Silver Mountain. On September 3rd, 1964, after eight years of discussion and 66 drafts, an act creating the National Wilderness Preservation System passed under the pen of President Johnson, establishing 54 wilderness areas and national forests in 13 states, protecting 9.1 million acres. Wilderness, according to the act, is to be recognized as an area where man himself is a visitor who does not remain free of permanent improvements, such as roads and buildings. Today, There are over 600 designated wilderness areas composing greater than 100 million acres, accounting for about 5% of the U.S. land mass. I wake up to a small burning sensation on my face around 8 a.m. I look at my watch. Yeah, that's about what time it is, 8 a.m. Instead of noticing the time... I notice a small blob that looks like a booger on my wrist. It's a slug. gross. Fling. Off it goes into the trees. I rub the burn on my temple. Again, a booger. No, it's a slug. Ick. Ick, 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 Ick. Now I'm doing a slug dance. I pick these noxious mollusks off my skin. Four, five, six, seven. Looking at my paraphernalia, they are everywhere. Forty or fifty of them. Why they climbed onto me and my stuff will remain a mystery, but how do I get them off? These are the kind that leaves behind some sort of irritant. After grabbing a stick, I slowly flick them from my equipment and myself. Everything is damp, including my backpack, dishes, and the clothes I have hanging up supposedly to dry. I think it may have rained from about 9 to 2 a.m. last night and pretty hard at times. I stayed dry under my tarp and in my Gore-Tex. Now I must dry out my equipment before starting my day. I string up a clothesline and let the morning sun dry my gear. In the meantime, I devour breakfast. Oatmeal. Today will be a toddle into principal bear territory, or so I think. In the heart of the Ottawa National Forest, I will end my day... Uh, in the Sturgeon Gorge Wilderness, rivers and streams abound in this wilderness. Where there are rivers, there are fish, blueberries, and other morsels appealing to bear. The road is back to Pori Road and take that due west until it takes a 90 degree turn to the north. Immediately on the right is Forest Highway 2276 that leads to Sturgeon Gorge. South layered road snakes through the heavily logged forests. I do walk by the occasional cabin, and I see a vehicle every hour or so. Clang, clang, clang. I adjust my cup constantly to make it bang as loud as possible. To do so, I must stop. During my first stop uh, adjacent uh, to adjust the cup, I look at the ground. What looks like a human footprint, well, at, yeah, it's a bear track. Not just any bear track, this one is huge. And... Since it rained last night, and I have a track in front of me, this one is pretty fresh. It must be eight inches long from heel to toe, but it's going from left to right, not down the road in my direction. Clang, clang, clang. My first break is at the intersection of Pori Road and Forest Highway 16. Forest Highway 16 is a paved road, but not enough to not enough traffic to constitute a highway, in my opinion. Since there are no stumps, ditches, or berms, I just rest myself up against a street sign. Looking around, I notice a few birds, mostly robins and grackles. One bird, though, looks quite unfamiliar. It lands on a sign that says Bob Lake, four miles. This bird is about the size of a robin, yellowish with some black streaks, oblivious to me, and it has a beak like a finch. I knew it must be an evening gross beak. This bird breeds in the Upper Peninsula and can be seen in some winters, in the lower peninsula. It flutters between the sign and the gravel road. Click, another memory. This area seems a little swampy. An occasional river crossing with so little water I am hard pressed to call it a ditch. This is a boggy area and I see a great vastness of leather leaf surrounded by black spruce and tamarack. An intermittent tamarack is in the middle making the whole area look like a a plate of hors d'oeuvres, two picks sticking out of a salad plate. More logging trucks, this time coming from a small road leading downhill. Silver River Reserve, says the 8 by 12 sign, posted about 20 feet off the ground. Is this so you can read it, on, read it in the deep snow? Reading the sign, this is a privately owned piece of property in the heart of the forest. There isn't a piece of private property this size or 20 miles in every direction. In this particular property, looking at the map, I approximate at 12 square miles, 8,680 acres. Turning the corner, I see Forest Highway 2276. I leave flagging tape for Julie. This looks like a good spot for a 15-minute break. I sit, throw my pack in the ditch, and rest. Ah, I have about 2 miles to Silver Mountain and 10 until Sturgeon Gorge Campground. I feel invigorated about to enter the Sturgeon Gore Wilderness Area, one of ten wilderness areas in Michigan. It is perfectly acceptable to camp anywhere in the wilderness as long as you leave no trace and keep away from roads and bodies of water. I will keep on walking until I see my sister, wherever that may be. Three children pull up on their bikes, having come from the direction I will be headed. Howdy, says I say in a southern Lower Peninsula accent. Hello, where are you going, the blonde-haired boy with glasses says in a thick youper accent. Silver Mountain, am I close? Yeah, you are, says the boy, black hair. Where are you going, when will it be done, says the blonde boy. Mackinac Bridge. All three children, including the silent girl about eight years old, open their mouths wide open. You three kids live around here? Yup, just up the street that way, says the blonde, pointing north. Have you seen any bear around here? Of course, I ask the bear question. Oh, no, says the boys, almost in unison. "Uh, No, exclaims the girl. Dad says there's one out back at the house. The boys give me that universal look that she does not know what she's talking about. Dad probably told her that so she would not wander off. The children head back towards Silver Mountain, and I leave my backpack uh, on the ground for a moment. Then I finish my break. I put it on my pack. And then I begin to walk again. This road winds until it drops some 40 feet to the Silver River where I decide to take another break. I am feeling relatively drained all of a sudden. The kids show up again. Curious to what their parents did for a living up here, I asked them where they live and where their parents work. No surprise, one kid's dad owns a sawmill. The other two kids' fathers work together and bring logs to the first sawmill. Interesting how things all weave together up here. In another mile, I find myself deep in the Sturgeon Gorge Wilderness at Silver Mountain. Silver Mountain is so named because the silver was mined in the area. For years, the Forest Service had a tower at the apex of this mountain. There is a flight of steps leading to the summit and a cavern that people were able to explore at one time. Now a solid steel door is in its place. There is a picnic table and a fire ring. It is dreadfully calm here. This is reminding me of something. There are three vehicles in the lot. One from Minnesota, a minivan. One from Wisconsin, a Buick. And a truck from Missouri. The same truck passed me a little earlier and they waved as they went by. I sit by the table, my pack leaning up alongside a tree, and I'm waiting for the owners of the autos to descend the mountain. I read my book while waiting for my sister and John to show up. It's about 4pm and I can see ominous clouds overhead. The family from Minnesota descends and leaves, never saying hi. A couple belonging to the Buick asked me if I was going to climb to the top. I'm not climbing anything today, I said in a humorous tone. I think they got the idea I walked quite a distance today. The truck full of people from Miss Missouri parked right in front of my current position. Jovially came walking down the mountain. Hey, we saw you with your pack earlier. Where are you headed? Tonight or overall, I ask. They never specify. Overall, the Mackinac Bridge. Jesus, man, that's one heck of a trip, says the oldest man, about 55. He's there what looks like his wife's son, son's wife, and a male teenager. wonder how the teenager fits in. The son is no older than I am. Maybe his brother? Where'd you start? The father is doing all the talking. Everyone is listening and chuckling to my stories. Ironwood. I'm one quarter of the way done. Boy, not only did that sound good, that felt really good. They are from St. Louis and make frequent trips to the Upper Peninsula. Currently, they are staying at Porcupine Mountains. They're just driving around today. We talk about my bear story, wolves, coyotes, and wildlife in general. A very nice group of people. These creatures are not all that bad. So I'm sitting there with nothing to do, and I start writing in my journal. Checking off the wildlife I've seen so far today, I write down rough grouse, and man, these things are everywhere. Yellow-bellied sapsucker, downy woodpecker, eastern wood peewee, least flycatcher, blue jay, red-breasted nuthatch, white-breasted nuthatch, golden-crowned kinglet, American robin, cedar waxwings, which are everywhere. Uh, Heck, they're more common than robins in these parts. I also saw red-eyed vireo, white-throated sparrow, and, of course, my evening gross beak. Anxiously waiting for Julie and John to show up, I hinge on every sound similar to a motor vehicle. A car is coming up the road, and I'm looking at my watch. It's 6.15, and it's starting to sprinkle. <sighs> ah, crap. car pulls up as I pull out my fly and make a quick shelter over my equipment using three trees. The car parks, and two men in their late teens and early 20s climb out of the car. They pop the trunk and pull out some camping gear, a cooler, and I overhear their conversation. I don't think they see me. They're parking right at the base of the stairs about 100 feet from me. Dude, you grab the weed? Don't worry, man. I got it. Let's get going. Slam. The trunk closes. Then they look right at me and freeze. Uh-oh. I give them a nervous gesture. How's it going, I say. Not too loud but enough that they hear me. They don't respond. Then they turn, walk towards the stairs, and continue to glance back at me. Great. Beer, plus teenagers, plus drugs, plus unfriendliness. I wonder what that's going to equal. This is too familiar. So I scribble down their license plate just in case they kill me. Nervously, I collect wood just in case I have to hunker down. It is still spitting rain. Collecting wood, I hear another car pull up. Maybe they brought a gun with them to finish me off. Fortunately, it's Julie and John. A little late, but I'm glad to see them. John pops out of the car first. Sorry we were late, says Julie. We spent a lot of time driving around, says John, giving Julie a look. Seems that John has some sort of attitude going on. I don't know what that's for, but I guess I'm going to find out. I have to make a phone call, I say, expecting a callous response. John looks befuddled, like he did not anticipate to be carting me around. I have to let the next two persons meeting me know where I'm at and where to meet me. So we load up into the escort and peel off towards M-28. We drove around for an hour and a half looking for this place, says Julie. She's in the front, and I'm chilling in the back. John is driving, crazily. That explains why you're exactly an hour and a half late, I say, realizing I probably shouldn't have said that. They are doing me a huge favor. John is terribly quiet, weaving and spinning through the turns on this gravel forest service road. I guess he's perturbed that he either could not find this place like he thought he could, or that he has to haul me around. Tough shit, that was the deal, and that's what they agreed to uh, to do for me while I was on the trail. Bring me food, bring me money, and cater to my needs, including phone calls. They knew what they were getting into. We had a long talk about this before Ah uh, my trip started. He's still whipping around the turns. He speaks. Twenty two hundred, asks John. I'm looking for twenty two forty three which should bring us to Covington. twenty two hundred brings us to Sydnaw, I say, quietly, apologetically. We came up from Sydnaw on twenty two hundred, says Julie. Well, let's not mess with the sure thing, I say, with a sense of adventurous security. We continue to drive too fast for anyone to enjoy the scenery. I'm getting to not liking the internal combustion wheelchairs very much. Gorgeous gorge down there, I say, trying to be funny. Oomph, says John. Julie starts to hold his hand and whisper to him, probably checking his attitude. Funny, I can't hear what they're saying in this car, but I could hear the teens in the parking lot a 100 feet away. We pass Sturgeon Gorge Campground and stop. Uh, signs greet us at M28. Sidna is one quarter of a mile to the west. There's a sign that says GAS, and we head there to find a phone. Luckily, in the middle of nowhere, there is one, and hopefully it will work. I call Don and give him directions to pass along to the next two people who join me on my adventure, uh, Michelle and Sean. I direct Michelle to Sturgeon Gorge Campground, where she'll meet me tomorrow. But Sean, where to direct him? There appears to be no campground in the area. Well, looky here, a campground, I say to Don. Where? There? Yeah, I see a mailbox that says campers pay here. There's a small campground behind this gas station. Tell him to meet me at the gas station in Sidnaw. Seriously, dude, there's a sign that says G-A-S. That's where he needs to be in Sidnaw, at the gas station. Okay, any stories? Eh, not really. I've walked through some major logging operations, seen very few people. Well, you are coming upon probably the most boring part of your trip. (laughs) Really? How so? I say, not realizing what he was about to say was going to be true. You're walking M28 to the other side of Marquette, are you not? Yeah, thanks for reminding me. And I get back into the wheelchair. Where do you want us to drop you off? Well, I'm not crazy about camping at Silver Mountain tonight. Did you see that other car that was there? Yep, we did. And they got there about 6.15, walked up the mountain with camping gear, beer, and pot. Plus, they had a... eh, Not a great attitude. And I'm not crazy about that situation after what happened to Victoria. So where? The campground? Yeah, I'll pay my sentence by walking up to the gorge tomorrow. That way, I'll get my miles in. Also, I don't want to make Misha walk on the uh, on M28 with me. Uh, Plus, she has to find me. So I need to be able to uh, have a place where she can get her car. I truly fear for my safety. Funny how some humans can be so friendly and others are downright scary. I mean, those were two teenagers. I could take them. Yeah, I could. I also could hide in the woods. I cannot believe I'm actually thinking this, but I like humans. I like nice humans, especially if they camp near me. Humans are not so bad. Just stay away from the bad ones. Julie and John pull in and drop me off. John helps me get my pack out. John, thank you so much for driving me around. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for everything. Ain't no problem. Take it easy. Be safe and I'll see you later and good luck, he says in a very pleasant tone, shaking my hand. He just cheered right up. Huh. I turn to Julie. Julie, if he gives you any crap, I'll beat him up, she says smartly. All right, bye, you two. I give Julie a hug and away they go. I leave my pack on the table and walk around the campground. My current location is the bottom of the gorge. However, it does not look like a gorge at all. Maybe tomorrow I will see it from a different perspective. I walk and notice that there are several sites along the water that are open. One site has a small Toyota station wagon and two people, a male and a female. I decide to camp at the site next to them. This is not a state park, but a federal wilderness area. Usually, nary road or campsite can be found. Here, the campground is not your typical state park where you find RVs, station wagons, and SUVs cramped on tiny overused sites. Here, the sites are huge. My site is probably 100 feet wide and 200 feet deep with river frontage. I know people that have paid $25,000 just for the land to build a house on a site like this. I'm renting it for 6 bucks a night. Who's the sucker now? I set up my bivouac and some trees up by the road, and there's an 8-foot wide pole with a hook. For what? I do not know. A picnic table sits alone in the middle of the pad. Thimbleberries separate my sight from the neighbor's. Of course, the pit toilet is right across from my sight. Walking down to the river, I detect that the river is missing 75% of its capacity. And I can see my neighbors. Howdy, neighbors, I say, waving. Howdy there, says the female. She's about 45, short, long, brown hair and glasses. The male's is graying brown and hair pulled back in a ponytail. Tall, he's wearing gray sweatpants. I get up to cook my evening meal, and the mail comes over. Hi, I'm Ed. That's Cheryl, as he points to the woman who is still at her campsite. Tom, nice to meet you. Where are you two from? Ashland, Wisconsin. No one up here is from Michigan, I say. We talk about my trip, bears, my search and rescue story, and my bad experience at Victoria, and escaping a potential bad incident at Silver Mountain. I purposely pick the site next to you because it makes me feel safe, I say, Hoping for his approval. Interesting, he says. That's how cities got started. In the middle of nowhere, nomads would set up camp just with a nice shot of another human. Says Ed. He seems very knowledgeable. We continue talking for quite a while. His favorite comment to me is when someone takes a vacation. It's at least a week before someone gets out of the working mindset. How often do you think about work? He asks. Pause. I reflect. I am out of the work mindset. In fact, I feel suspended in time. I have no idea what is happening in the world because I have not read a paper in several days. We could be at war and I would not know it. Ed says, doesn't that make you feel alive? Yeah, it's just me, my equipment, the great outdoors, and my wits. Another eye opener. I've rarely thought of work. I have no idea what's going on there. Don't care. I really don't. I think most of my mother, my father, my brothers, my sisters, my friends, my family, lost loves, loves I wish I had, loves I'm glad I didn't have. I think about humans, their impact on the environment, overpopulation, and that there are very few humans in the UP. Being out of touch with the outside world is a blessing. More importantly, I'm in touch with myself. Last time I was out of touch with the world, Cecil Fielder was traded to the Yankees, Roger Tory Peterson died and the bombing at the Atlantic Olympics took place. Heck, I did not find out about the first two until months later. And you were no worse off for not knowing, says Ed. Interesting comment. Yeah, I wasn't. Ed leaves, and I eat. Tomorrow, a leisurely walk to the gorge and await Misha's arrival. I've thought about uh, rehiking the North Country Trail. Um, or finishing it off, or maybe even finishing it off and rehiking some uh, parts of the trail. And uh I've read over my notes of my hikes and uh, this manuscript hundreds of times. And, and one thing that uh, I can tell you is that uh, I don't think I have the fear of the bears that uh, I once had. Uh, I have encountered bears many more times while hiking, and I know how to deal with them. So. Fair warning to anybody that wants to participate with me. You are hiking the trail, and uh, it may be a little difficult to find me um, if you do choose to join me. So, I certainly want to walk a whole lot less roads and a whole lot more trail if I ever do this again. And after this trip on the Upper Peninsula, um, I hiked the uh, entire Lower Peninsula, and almost all of that was on the North Country Trail. I rarely deviated from it, so... Um yeah, that's how I would approach it if I did this in the future. All right, thanks again for listening to Trail Tales. This is Tom Funk, your host, and we'll see you again.